Hello again, and welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind, the virtual church classroom Bible study and course study presented by yours truly, Pastor Dan of Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana. It is my pleasure to share this time of fellowship with you and learning with you and uh, to discuss these wonderful things of faith that... uh, well, quite frankly, we take for granted, don't we? This is the 17th lesson in about a 32-lesson course of study called Christian Believer. This is a course of study that was created several years ago by the Cokesbury Publishing folks and written by J. Ellsworth Callis. While I'm using this as a reference, I'm not following its pre uh, precepts precisely, But uh, nevertheless, you're getting a general overview of this course of study that basically takes the Nicene Creed and breaks it down into individual lessons so that we can understand more completely the beliefs that most Christians hold in common around the world. And so this is a chance to really dive deeper. Today's lesson is God with us, the Holy Spirit. So we'll begin to think now of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit means to you as we prepare to discuss this in depth. But for now, let's talk about life under the Nine Oaks here in southwest Indiana. I saw an interesting clip on the news the other day as I was watching for a weather forecast. And it was pointed out that the first week in November in southwest Indiana and then the week around the 15th uh, of November are historically the most volatile weather weeks in the fall season in southwest Indiana. That uh, there have been more storms and such uh, that have done more damage in the fall around those two weeks of the year. The 15th is marked as the last 70-degree day before winter really sets in. So I thought that was very interesting because as March, uh, excuse me, March, well, okay, as long as I'm on the topic, it is like March ushering in the springtime with all those crazy weather phenomenon that we usually associate with the spring. But what I really wanted to say was as November came in, Uh, this last week, we uh, changed our clocks and we saw a balmy, incredibly humid day and we saw storms. And uh, even up on Parsons Prairie, where I once brought you this broadcast, there were tornadoes and there was damage. So it's, uh, it's a curious time of the year here in Indiana and in the Midwest. And so we'll hold our breath, wait for the 15th to come and go, and then we can really get ready for the winter season around here. The maple trees have dropped all their leaves. The oaks are still holding on, though. The nine oaks are still holding out. And so among the duties this week will be a raking of leaves and uh, a clearing of uh, the leaves from the porch and uh, the various places around the house where leaves can be a bit of a burden. It's pretty fun right now because we haven't had trees in a long time, but uh, 
you know, it'll probably get old one of these days. I hope that wherever you are, whether it's here in the vicinity of the Nine Oaks in Jasper, or whether it's up on the prairie or somewhere far away, I hope that you're blessed. And uh, I join with you in the usual things that are on our minds as we gather together in the Lord's name. I'm aware that there has been a terrible shooting at a church, that the week before there was a terrorist attack with a truck in New York City, and it seems that each week there's some new tragic event. And what we are studying together, I hope, at least gives us a clearer view of the human condition and the world's condition according to the Bible tenets and according to the doctrinal standards that we hold with other Christians. To put it another way, when we look at all the ugliness that's happening in the world, we have a Christian biblical worldview that informs us that this shouldn't be a surprise. While we hope that humanity will rise above and somehow cease its ugly behavior, the truth is that's not going to happen until Christ returns. And so we look for Christ's return. And when times are like this, we hope that Christ is coming sooner rather than later. As people of hope, we face the death and the carnage that is all around us with a sort of resolve, knowing that while we would not want to suffer the same losses that those dear people have suffered, we are aware that life doesn't end just because this gunman has taken away the physical breathing of a certain person's body. There is a life beyond this physical existence that we believe in and we believe as Christians we have a place in paradise with Jesus, just as that thief on the cross who died next to Jesus was promised of paradise. We have a hope of a resurrection where we'll see those dear people who have died and we will be with them rejoicing in Christ's presence. We believe in these things because they seem true to us, because we know they're true. There's something that is in our hearts that assures us that these things are true. And that may very well be this same Holy Spirit that we've come to talk about today. But before we begin, let's take a moment to pray. Holy God, we thank you for the assurance that we receive from the Holy Spirit that we will be in paradise with Jesus when we die. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us the hope that surpasses understanding, especially in times of grave terror and difficulty. We know, Lord, that there is much evil and ugliness in the world, but we believe that this is the consequence of sin. And more than that, it is part of this ongoing struggle between your perfect goodness and the evil of pride and self-direction that is, is, is epitomized in the person of Satan, who would rather reject you and destroy those who love you than admit that somehow your way and your character are perfect and best for all. That's a simplification, Lord, but you know, as you witness to our hearts and our hearts witness back to what extent we suffer with these fearful, terrible things, and you reassure us with the Holy Spirit that Jesus has paid the penalty 
for our sin so that we can experience your presence in the Spirit and therefore have this unbelievable and incredible assurance and hope that comes from being a part of your family and with your life's blood coursing through our veins. And so we thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Amen. So what is the Holy Spirit? Or would it be better to say, who is the Holy Spirit? There are many things about religion and things of faith that are intangible and invisible, and that's one of the reasons they are relegated to religion and they become matters of faith. Because if they were easy to believe in, there wouldn't be a whole lot of faith involved now, would there? But the question of the Holy Spirit is kind of remarkable because to people of faith and people who practice the Christian or Jew, uh, Jewish religion, there is a sort of relegating of the Holy Spirit to a secondary status. And yet, most of your non-Christian friends would probably find it easier to comprehend the nature of the Holy Spirit than the Father and the Son. In other words... We as Christians have a tendency to think of think of the Holy Spirit as this thing that uh, this person this this happening that occurred uh, on the occasion of Pentecost and as as though the Spirit wasn't around and this is why there are Christians out there in certain traditions who believe that the there was a sort of succession rather than believing in a Trinity they believe that Jesus was uh, the earthly manifestation of the Father and that the Holy Spirit is the invisible and everlasting manifestation of the Son, as though one came before the other and the other. But as Christians, we recognize the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity, and so we do think of the Holy Spirit as a person. And while we don't assign gender to God or the Holy Spirit, it would be fair to say Him with a capital H in the same way that we tend to when we refer to God the Father. And so, uh, the point being that the Holy Spirit is, in many ways, the most recognizable form of our faith and uh, that informs our faith and the being uh, around our faith. It's much easier to talk to a non-Christian or a non-believer, an agnostic or atheist, about this this presence, this psychic energy that that is what we refer to as the Holy Spirit. Now, that isn't to say that that we believe that, but they're much more likely to grasp that. I several generations now have embraced something called the Force from the Star Wars movies and uh, genre, and it would be easier to say to someone that the Holy Spirit and the Force have something in common, and so. Think about it in those terms for a minute, and then reflect on what you read in Scripture. As you read through the Scriptures, how did you see the Holy Spirit both as a person and in action? In other words, what revealed from your Scripture readings the nature of the Holy Spirit's personality and the nature of the Holy Spirit's deeds? What were the things that signified the Holy Spirit? Well, One of the things you notice in Genesis is that the Holy Spirit hovered over creation, that the Holy Spirit breathed life into the man, that the Holy Spirit brought order to the chaos. And 
in that reading is important to remember that the ancient Hebrew used a word that would basically describe the Holy Spirit as a breath. And uh, not just a wind, but a breath, meaning that that sort of wind that comes from within a living being. Think, uh, think of, of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. If a person uses the breath from their own lungs to breathe life into the stilled lungs of a person who's been incapacitated, it's that kind of use of the word. Uh, in Greek, it would be pneumo, uh, pneuma, and that's with a P and an N pronounced with the P silent, so it's pneuma, and that's a prefix that is referring to the air that comes from breath, or the wind that comes from your mouth and your lungs. And so, this is more accurately a description of God speaking life into the chaos and order into the chaos, and the wind of His voice, so to speak, is the Holy Spirit. And so there's this sense that the presence of the Holy Spirit is there from the very beginning and coexistent with God the Father, the Creator. Later on in the book of Numbers and in the Judges, there are descriptions of how the Holy Spirit came upon certain people at certain times for certain purposes. And so we see in this telling of the story how the Spirit is present, but not intimately involved in a person's life, except for on those occasions when it's called for. And so, God's directing the activity of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is present in those with whom God has a an agreement, you know, I'm going to protect you, I'm going to help you, and this is what I need you to do, and I'm going to give you the Spirit to help you do it. And so, there's a sense that God is is sovereign in the, the distribution of the Holy Spirit and the, the various gifts and the fruits that come from the Holy Spirit. Later on in Judges and in Samuel, you see how whether or not these people who... Uh, turn out to be heroes in the legend of Israel, whether or not they're good folks uh, or, say, colorful characters like Samson and King David, they are nonetheless filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, there's a sense that, that while they may not be the people that we would want to hold up as the perfect example of a godly, wonderful uh, Christian or Jewish uh, example, the truth is, is that if God puts the Spirit on them, then they are God's instrument for that moment. And so, you take a character like Samson, who was clearly kind of a kind of a big jerk, but he was a guy who used his great strength to deliver Israel from its oppressors for a while, and uh, really was uh, more than that, not a great example of a spirit-filled follower of God, uh, the God of Israel. And yet, in his worst and best moment, it is the Spirit of God and an act of faith and selflessness that defines him. 
In the same way, you see in David so many flaws, so many injuries to the reputation of what it means to be a a follower of Yahweh and a devotion, a devoted servant of Yahweh. I mean, he, you know, the guy's got some major character issues, and yet he is the friend of God, and he has in this friendship with God numerous victories and numerous successes, and in, and he is he is at, at once a a uh, poor example of a great human being and yet a great example of a small human being made great by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there is in David, I think, an especially good example of how the Holy Spirit is that connection that God establishes between humans and God. In other words, they are separated from God by their sin, but when God opens the connection... There is a sort of, of connection, a pipeline, I guess you could say, between God and the humans that he has selected in the Old Testament. And in that hour, in that day or that week or year or lifetime even, they are friends with God, at least in the, in the fact that they have a sort of connection with God. And the Holy Spirit is that means of connection. And that'll mean even more to us when we come to our New Testament understanding. And so we move into Isaiah, and we see how the Holy Spirit is like a uh, anointing, uh, a sort of spiritual anointing. And so we see this reference to anointing in terms of, of placing the oil on someone's head and setting them apart for a particular sacred task or sacred role. But then there is this anointing of the Holy Spirit that is for the same purpose. And this is where we will talk about the Holy Spirit as the giver of gifts. That is to say, the one who makes us able to do and be things that we would not otherwise be able to do and be. And then we get into the book of Matthew, we get into the New Testament, and now there is a beginning of a change. Now it is still the Holy Spirit acting in certain limited ways, like, for example, in the conception of Jesus and Mary. And there is uh, John the Baptist, who is filled with the Holy Spirit. And there is that moment when the Spirit descends upon Jesus in a unique demonstration of God's connection with Jesus. And then there is, at Pentecost, this sort of explosive transformation of the relationship between God and the people. The significance of Pentecost cannot be overstated. There is in Pentecost an incredible moment when, for the first time in human history, that connection that only a few people were able to experience with God is now given over to all who would accept it. Now there is an ability for all persons in all times, in all seasons of life, to experience a personal connection with God. And the thing that has changed that is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So when you think about the Holy Spirit, do you think about a person or a thing? Do you think about the Holy Spirit as a psychic power? Do you think about the Holy Spirit as something that you can't really explain, but you know that it's part of the Godhead, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, 
And if that's how it is, then how do you see the Holy Spirit as different from God the Father and different from God the Son? Did you know that in the days of the early church, uh, first 900 years or so of the church, there was a great deal of debate about the nature of the Holy Spirit, and there was a great deal of debate about the nature of the Son, and we talked about that before. But one of the things that was a real difference maker in the life of the church in its early stages in the late uh, first century was this um, discussion of the role of the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. Um, In other words, in the Nicene Creed that I hope you've been reading, because I provide you with a link every week, uh, I hope you look at it, and you'll see that, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is glorified. So this statement did not happen all at once. In the early days of this debate about this creed or this absolute understanding that everyone would have of what it meant to be a Christian, there was a a decision that split the church, and the biggest and best-known split of the church of all time was the Roman Catholic Church, that is, the Church Universal from uh, headquartered in Rome, and the uh, Orthodox or the uh, traditional church that was based now out of Constantinople. In other words, you have the Western church and the Eastern church, and they still exist today. We think of them in terms of the Roman Catholic church based out of Rome, Italy, and then we think of the Eastern church as being based out of uh, well, there's a Russian Orthodox, for example, there's a Greek Orthodox, and there's uh, variations of the Eastern Church, but they originally started out um, in Byzantium, Constantinople. Uh, these are places that uh, would be associated with the nation of Turkey now. But uh, in any case, these were the first major divisions, and they were over this use of the term Uh, that described the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit came from the Father and the Son, then this in the minds of the Orthodox made the Holy Spirit subservient to the Son. And so there was a sort of a a rejection of the idea that there was this multi-tiered system of, of, of authority and power. If they were really equal, then it wouldn't be right to say that the Holy Spirit comes from the Son as well as the Father. Um, And yet, once we've established that the Son is one in being with the Father, and uh, the Holy Spirit then becomes either one in being with the Father and the Son, or the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. So, in other words, if we say that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father and the Son, then that supports the statement that the Son is one in being with the Father. But if we say that the Holy Spirit comes from the Father, then that implies that the Son comes from the Father as well. And you might say, what in the the world are you talking about and why does this matter? Well, maybe it doesn't matter to you and maybe it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But when we were a young church and we were trying to establish for an ignorant world 
a complete understanding of what Christians were all about and why Christianity should be a dominating force in the world from that point forward, people needed to know these things. And I think people still do, personally. But I wouldn't worry too much about how that makes sense to you. The main thing is is that you understand the roots of your salvation and you understand the most important thing, which is that you are born again and the new life in you is a product of the Holy Spirit. You might even say that you've had a transfusion and your human spiritual blood has been replaced with Holy Spirit uh, spiritual blood. That is to say that the... the the uh, spiritual energy that was humanly generated, psychically generated, has been replaced with the spirit energy that God provides to those who are new creations through Christ Jesus. That's the most important thing to keep in mind. But if you want to try to understand this and explain it to your doubting friends, we say that the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit are three persons in one God, and yet each is unique. We say that the Father and the Son are one in uh, every way and that the Holy Spirit comes from them. So, what does that mean exactly? Let's go back to that word that describes the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the word that has been translated in the major languages of Scripture into English that we use the word spirit. I think I stumbled there. So, what I mean is, is the word we use for spirit, the word we say, spirit, is a word that comes from the major languages of the Bible in its original forms that meant breath. So, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as the breath of God. And basically, we've turned that word into spirit because that's how it translates through the languages of the origin up to where we are now. I hope I didn't lose you there because I felt a little lost myself. And so, what are we trying to say? What is it that's really coming around here in my thinking as I try to explain this to you? Well, the answer is, is to say that when we think of the Holy Spirit coming from the Father and the Son, it is in effect as though the very breath and mind of God, the Father and the Son, are present to us in the Holy Spirit. Now that we've kind of wrestled with that issue, let's talk about the more important thing, which I believe is more important anyway, and that is how the Holy Spirit is part of our lives as believers. As I said, when you accept God's gift of salvation through Christ, when you say, God, I get it. The only justification for your forgiveness is Christ and my acceptance of Christ's gift on my behalf. But then, once you've received that forgiveness and owned it for yourself and accepted it through your humble submission, then what happens? Well, according to Scripture, you are born again. You are, you are uh, ready to receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes. And in that way, you are now separated no longer from God. Now, let me, let me just see if I can help you visualize this the way I see it in my own mind's eye. When you were a sinner unrepentant, and and therefore unforgivable, you had to recognize that Jesus was the source of your forgiveness. And when you accepted Jesus as the source of your forgiveness, as the one who justifies you before God, 
your sin was no longer visible to God. In a very real sense, your sin, which blocked God's love and grace from you directly, was no longer an issue. In other words, this barrier that prevented the love and light of God from hitting you right square in the eye was taken away by Jesus. This barrier that blocked you from the presence of God has been pushed away by Jesus because he has covered this barrier called sin. And therefore, you are now in the presence of God. And then if I could just sort of make you visualize and see in a, in a literal sense that if there was this beam of light shining from God right at you, that this particle, this energy beam of light coming from God was going to get you if it were not for the sin that stands between you and God and blocks you from receiving this light from God. And then Jesus pushes that out of the way or covers it and somehow lets the light pass on to you. And then suddenly you are experiencing the mind and breath of God that is now coming directly at you from God because your sin is no longer blocking the way. I mean, you know, try to think of it in those terms. And so Jesus is the conduit that that Jesus is the one who who sort of covers your sin and then God's life and breath passes through Jesus and on to you and this is why you are now experiencing the Holy Spirit and and you know I don't want to overly simplify this but but you know it's it's like connecting a telephone line it's like connecting a power cord it's uh it's, it's a matter of, of being this close to experiencing the energy and the, and, and the thing, whatever it is that you need, whether it's water flowing through a pipe or sound coming through a uh, telephone line or through a fiber optic line or whether it's electricity coming through a wire. Once the connection has been made and there is no longer a barrier, the energy flows to you and you are changed forever. And this is the same idea. And so this is what we call being born again. And now being born again, we have this energy, this person of God, this breath and life that comes from God. This mind of God is now with us and in us and is our advocate and our uh, our, our co-laborer, you know, and, and the one who remakes us and shapes us and molds us into someone new. And this is where our sanctification comes from, is this ongoing relationship with God that is made greater because of the Holy Spirit. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, we really are talking about a very personal and intimate relationship that we have with God the Father. And, you know, what could be more intimate than the breath of another filling your lungs? I mean... You know, when I was a Boy Scout, we learned how to do mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, and the whole thing was sort of gross when you're an adolescent boy. The thought of taking your mouth and placing it over another person's mouth and then blowing air into their lungs and maybe experiencing the air from their lungs back into yours. And, oh, that's so gross. And then a few years later, of course, we can't wait to suck face with pretty girl, right? So go figure. And the funny thing is, is that this is a deeply intimate connection. 
And that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to understand that when God is filling us with God's mind and breath, that we are experiencing the infuseo, the infusion, the life of God is filling us. And so we are no longer temporary. We are no longer uh, just animated flesh that uh, is here for a little while and then our spirits are gone. You know, there is a real sense that we are filled with the breath and the life of God, that we are infused with the very nature of God in our own being. And it's really kind of amazing how many Christians will claim to be followers of Christ and devoted to Christ for their salvation, and yet they'll resist this life energy that God gives us, that is the Holy Spirit, that is so vital to our transformation as Christian people and Christian communities. And uh, yes, there will be those with whom you are familiar, who have a particular view of the Holy Spirit that requires them to demonstrate that the Holy Spirit is in them in order for their friends to believe that they are truly saved and transformed. And in those traditions, if you don't speak in tongues, if you don't uh, demonstrate certain gifts of the Spirit, then you're probably not saved, you know. But we don't believe that in my tradition, and I don't think the Nicene Creed really supports that in any particular way. Rather, what we see is that when the Holy Spirit enables the new life of the believer and enables new life in the people called the church, then there is this this sort of divine uh, uh economy that occurs even in the church, even in the body of believers. And there's a sense that with this one blood, this one spirit, this saving grace of God, we are one people. We are people of one accord, as Scripture calls them in the Acts of the Apostles. And in that respect, the people who are new in all things and in all ways, but new together as one body. And that's why the Nicene Creed concludes with the description of the holy Catholic and apostolic church, using the small c word for Catholic, meaning the universal church or the very body of Christ. It's kind of fascinating to think that through Christ, we become the body of Christ. And because of the Holy Spirit, we have the breath of Christ and God the Creator in us and the very mind of Christ in us. That's the idea. And whether or not that is manifest in special gifts and, and graces is interesting, but not essential as long as God is using us and we are not resisting the way that God uses us. And so, in a study of the Holy Spirit, and perhaps for another occasion, I would urge you to think about where has God made you more than you thought you were? That would be a sign of the gifts. And where are the things that have just changed because once you've become a new creation in Christ, the Spirit changes all of us in certain ways. The Apostle Paul makes a distinction between the fruits of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are something that all of us receive. The gifts of the Spirit, though, are those things that, just like in the Old Testament, were given to certain people for certain purposes in certain times. So, too, Christian believers even today are given gifts of the Spirit for a certain purpose, and sometimes only for a certain time. And that's different. So, consider how the Holy Spirit witnesses in your own life and manifests in your own life. And with that, we come to the conclusion of today's lesson. 
I want to uh, conclude with this prayer from uh, the hymn by Charles Wesley, O Thou Who Comest From Above. O Thou Who Comest From Above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love upon the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze, and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat, till death thy endless mercy seal and make my sacrifice complete. I want to thank you again for listening to this podcast, and I pray that it is continued blessing for you. I understand that it is uh, a weekly sort of uh, lecture from yours truly, and I hope that it is and still uh, some form or another more than just a lecture, but something that inspires you and causes you to learn and to be more complete in the Holy Spirit, and uh, that in some way the Holy Spirit is using me for your good and holy sanctification. It is a blessing and an honor to be sure. Next week, we'll talk about the power of the Holy Spirit and how the power of the Spirit changes our lives. God gives us power to live and to serve. What does that look like? And what is our discipleship then if it is empowered by God? That's what we'll talk about next week. Please tune in again next week, and if you like what you're hearing, well, share it with a friend. Tell somebody else about this so that they can join you in conversation. Remember, as I've tried to say every week, this should not be the only thing you do. The Christian's journey is dependent on its relationship, his relationship or her relationship with other people. That is to say that you need to be in community with others, the body of Christ, You know, it's not a solo act. Christianity is not a solo act. If we believe that God is three persons in one, then we know that even God isn't a solo act, and so therefore you should not be. If you're having trouble finding a church or a group of believers with whom you connect, pray about it. Keep trying. Don't give up. If you're in the vicinity of Jasper, Indiana, needless to say, you'd be welcome to join us at Shiloh United Methodist Church. You can learn more about us by going to Shiloh, U-M, that's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot org, and we'd be glad to become your friends and sojourners with Christ on the way of Christ. If you're from farther away, look for that place wherever it is for you, and give me a Drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. I'd like to know where you are and how this is being experienced by you. That would mean a great deal to me. I like hearing from you, and it is uh, an honor, really, to think that you are valuing this. But for now, I want to say God bless you, and uh, I want to wish you well as you go to love and serve the Lord. <music>